0: Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week, we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome friends to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I am so excited for this episode. Uh, our good friend, and I say ours because uh, he uh, dropped a great episode with us on time domain frequency, or time domain, I'm, I'm jumping ahead here, uh, HRV readings uh, about a month ago and got, got some really great feedback on that. So I wanna welcome Dr. Fred Schaefer back to the show. At this point, if you don't know Fred, you've got to go back to the Time Domain episode. It'll set up this one uh, on frequency domains really well. So, Fred, uh, welcome back to the show, my friend. It is great to see you. Happy 2024.
1: I was pleased to make it to 2024. <laughs> and, uh, it's starting out well that's good hopefully it ends well too i'm a
0: little nervous about you know maybe some things that happened this year but uh let's just all wish for the best so uh i try uh, yes uh speaking of stress uh frequency domains uh i'll be honest with our audience uh, these have been a, a something that i have studied um i have tried to work into my thinking. I think I got low frequency pretty good, but we hit a level of complexity here that I'm so glad, if I were to pick one person in the world to help me work through this complexity, Fred, it would be you. So I'm gonna just throw throw it out there. What the heck is a frequency? Oh, what what are we looking at here when it uh, relates to heart rate variability?
1: Actually, if there was one person I would choose to tell this story, it would be uh, Dr. Richard Gevert at uh, Alliant University. Uh, He is uh, probably my favorite explainer of all things HRV. (laughs) Uh, Now, having said that, let's talk about what a frequency is. Yes, It's just the number of times an event occurs uh, in a a period of time like a minute Uh, so frequencies are uh, when we take a look at uh, the hrv just like the eeg it's driven by different sources and therefore they occur different numbers of times per minute are you with me so far and yeah, so, with you so far, we can use a term like cycles per second. So imagine a sine wave. And so uh, the number of waves per unit of time uh, would be its frequency. Okay. Uh, and the height of the wave from peak to trough would be the strength or amplitude.
0: Okay, of that frequency.
1: So we. Anyone who has any experience with the EEG knows that it is divided into different frequency bands Mm -hmm. and that we can measure how much energy is in alpha and uh, theta and beta and so forth. Uh, In the same way, the uh, HRV signal, because it's generated By uh, different processes, Uh, some very glacially slow, others uh, more rapid, like breathing. It contains different frequencies too. Uh, The slowest frequencies are called ultra low. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fastest frequencies are high frequency. Okay, with me so far? I'm with Uh, you so
0: far. Hey, well, let me ask you a question. I might be wrong with, well, maybe in a, let me just throw something out because I think I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. but I think the correction might help uh, a lot. So when we say frequency, I don't think we're saying the frequency of the heartbeat, right? Am I, am I correct with? Yeah,
1: no, we are okay. actually talking instead about the, uh, component we we look the the basis of HRV measurement, whether we're looking at the average amount of variability yep. or the frequency components, is the time period between a series of successive heartbeats. Mm-hmm. So we're not looking at heart rate, but right. rather looking at the different amounts of time in milliseconds, and milliseconds there thousands of a second, yeah. uh, between successive heartbeats. Now, frequent. one way of defining frequency is number of cycles a second. Right. Uh, and we're looking at things that are really slow. So another term for this, by the way, abbreviation, is H, Z, or Hertz. Mm-hmm. But what we're looking at in terms of frequencies are far uh, different than the ranges that we typically see in the EEG. For example, uh, the very slowest ones, uh, which we typically record over 24, 48 hours, is ultra low. Yeah. Now, ultra low is slower then and listen to this. 5,000th of a hertz, so five thousandths of a cycle per second. So that's really uh, that's really slow. Yeah. Uh, in performance work, in uh, HRV biofeedback, uh, you're not going to measure this in uh, real time because It's going to take many hours uh, to be able to uh, record enough data for this to be useful. Okay, is that making sense so far? So, so it's not that you.
0: Again, maybe, may may, I think I'll I'll be our audience who may be a little uninformed on this in the podcast uh, asking Mm -hmm. some of these questions, but are we? So that the the ultra low the ultra low frequency is it that to get a cycle takes so long with the this or we just need long. to gather enough information to make it useful?
1: Yes, exactly. The cycles that make up ultra low uh, could easily be uh, as long as eight hours. Yeah, and so uh, this is not uh, a practical kind of uh, biofeedback. Because we want people to have fairly uh, immediate knowledge of results in biofeedback. Uh, And so we, so, uh, ultra low is maybe useful in uh, assessment. Uh, If I were, if I had a heart patient Uh, and I'm not a clinician, I want to make that clear. I'm an academic and a researcher, but if I I were assessing, uh, if I did have a license and under my license would assess uh, a heart patient, uh, this may be uh, an important metric because of the relationship between total variability and ultra-low frequency uh, variability uh, in, uh, coronary outcomes. Okay. Uh, And
0: would that person be lying in a hospital bed? Because I mean, everything I know about heart rate variability oh, good. No. Okay.
1: So you can use, uh, just as cardiologists can monitor the body for like, uh, a month, uh, using, you uh, a portable uh monitor uh we can for 24 48 hours uh monitor uh heart rate variability including ultra low
0: okay okay Uh, and that i can get up i can go to the gym i can go absolutely we want you to get all that that's that's okay with this
1: this because this captures all of the sources of variability Okay, uh, and sleep is one of the most important right. uh, sources of variability. Yeah. Uh, so now we don't entirely understand. There isn't a, a consensus about the sources of ultra low, and what I mean is there undoubtedly are are many slow acting, uh, glacially slow biological processes. Like core body temperature, uh, metabolism, renin, angiotensin, uh, and so forth. Uh, But we know that when it is lower, uh, that this and or when uh, total heart rate variability is lower, uh, this is a very poor uh, prognostic sign. Okay, so that's ultra low in it really isn't part of most uh, HRV by feedback practice.
0: Yeah. Do you think when we think about HRV tracking, uh, where people have Apple Watches on, uh, Fitbits Uh, or other like, uh is it useful? I don't see this very often in the results, these 24-7 no wearables and 24 seven is used very loosely in my term because i know they all do it a little different but it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of commercial grade products right now focused on this unless i'm missing something
1: no Uh, for example uh, first beat technologies uh, has uh, a uh, tracker uh, that is designed for this kind of uh, ambulatory recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my uh, dear friends at the Institute of Heart Math, uh are able to uh, take 24 hours of data from uh, this device and then both manually and automatically, it's a combination of both, uh, clean it up and then mm. analyze it. And yeah. so the Institute of Heart and Math does uh, reports based on, say, 24 hours of, of data that have been uh, cleaned up. Fascinating. Uh, Fascinating. And But again, for most of your listeners, uh, this is really important for research. It's not important for uh, either optimal performance training or uh, clinical interventions. Uh, excellent.
0: So mostly in the cardio space, uh, heart health, are we talking about any mental health or other? Is it giving us, I mean, is high, higher is probably better, I would imagine, for everything, heart rate variability, higher the better.
1: Is As long as it's coming from a healthy source as opposed to an uh, abnormal heart rhythm, yes gotcha gotcha excellent so i know
0: another one we could probably knock off the list uh but i want i want to give it it's due and its place in the sun as well is very low frequency uh so i i will shut up and allow you to explain this to our audience
1: okay the frequency range for very low frequency is between And you're going to have to listen to the decimals very carefully. Uh, I'm looking at it as well. uh, So 0.0033 to 0.04 hertz. So again, we're talking about an extremely slow rhythm. Uh, The periods of time we're looking at, uh, so the rhythms that make up very low frequency, are between 25 and 300 seconds. Okay. Uh, where for ultra low, the periods were from five minutes to about 24 hours. For very low frequency, it's between 25 and 300 seconds. You probably want a minimum of of five minutes, which, uh, but it's better monitored over 24 hours. So you can get a measurement in uh, five minutes, but it's largely going to be poop. Uh, So the more data, the better. The better, gotcha. Uh, Now, we are not entirely sure of what contributes to this rhythm. Uh, There is the possibility that the heart's own intrinsic nervous system uh, may contribute to the very low frequency rhythm. Mm. Uh, it may be influenced by physical activity. Uh, it may, there may be uh, over a long period of time some sympathetic contribution. Uh, but probably uh, there also will be a parasympathetic contribution. And and this is where I want to make a distinction. Stephen Porges has described uh, two components of the parasympathetic branch. Uh, What he calls a uh, phylogenetically older, uh, component. It's called the unmyelinated vagus. Vagus is a 10th cranial nerve, as well as what he calls a phylogenetically newer component called the myelinated vagus. Within Porges' explanatory model, uh, the polyvagal theory, when stressors cause us to feel uh, unsafe and distressed, uh, we may suppress the newer myelinated vagus. Uh, and this may in turn increase very low frequency activity. Hmm. So when so we're not talking about the severity of stressors like traumatic stressors that might produce immobilization, uh, freezing, uh, feigning death, uh, passing out, dissociating. We're not talking about uh, that type of severity. Instead, we're just talking about the perception that we're being challenged. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so to make this practical, it is possible that when Clients try too hard during HRV training. We may see a spike in very low frequency band power that reflects what uh, we call vagal withdrawal, Mm. the uh, suppression of the newer myelinated vagus. So it's important not to, and my dear colleague, Dr. Gewurz makes a distinction that we should not automatically assume that uh, when we see that increase, that it is sympathetic. That it may very well be uh, unmyelinated parasympathetic. So are we talking dorsal, Vagus nerve. Yeah, we're talking about the okay. uh, we're talking about the the two branches.
0: Yeah. Okay. So I, I know that's a that's a term. Listeners will be uh, maybe a little bit more familiar. So are we might be seeing slight dorsal vagal activation.
1: We may see we we may actually see a rather pronounced uh, activation of the unmyelinated vagus.
0: Okay. Uh, So, so let me, this is a, this has been a a topic for the show. So I'd love to, I'd love to jump in here and get your opinion on because there's in my world of the trauma, sometimes people use dorsal vagal to say "Eh, I'm a little tired today. I must be in dorsal vagal and my kind of understanding of it. It was more like an emergency break during trauma to shut you down but they're not kind of like it's not like a normal brake on a car where you can gradually put it on and take it off but it's more of an emergency and trauma yeah. but I'm yeah. kind of hearing from you that it might maybe looking at this is uh maybe it's more on of a continuum
1: cycle. it's on a continuum in other words uh every day stressors uh, can activate the, uh, can uh, basically suppress uh, the myelinated vagus Mm -hmm. without producing a full-blown freeze response. Right. Uh, So often what we call a stress response uh, and mislabel as sympathetic is simply uh, a suppression, of the myelinated vagus of the nucleus ambiguous
0: so if i use the term ooh, this is good stuff here uh removing so a, a lot of times we'll talk about on the show the the ventral vagal break of the sympathetic activation mm-hmm. so are we talk? i mean when i hear suppression it mm-hmm. seems like different. It seems different, uh,
1: or we inhibit. We inhibit the myelinated vagus. Okay. Now think about what the myelinated vagus, the newer vagus, does. It allows us to engage in uh, social interaction. Mm-hmm. It allows us to self-regulate. Uh, it allows us uh, to emotionally bond with others. And this can be uh, disrupted uh, by everyday stressors. Yeah. And so one of the takeaways is uh, that when we do any kind of self-regulation, it's important to not try too hard. Uh, And uh, that is consistent with Eric Pepper's Mm -hmm. wonderful term, Effortless breathing. Yeah, that you don't force your breathing, you get out of its way. Uh, uh, in uh, Doctor Ina Hazan's perspective, you rediscover your breathing rhythm. Yeah, you don't force it, you don't order it, you rediscover it, and then you trust your body to breathe for you. That uh, it. so it's important in HRV training to uh, use the autogenic concept of passive volition, of Mm -hmm. allowing rather than ordering or forcing. Yeah. And so when you see elevation in very low frequency activity, it may signal that the person is trying too hard. Uh, In some cases, Uh, you may see other changes. You may see increased sweat gland activity. Mm. You may see a reduction in hand temperature. And these also may be signs of vagal withdrawal. Uh, And so we're not talking about fight or flight. We're not talking about freezing and fainting. Uh, We're talking about uh, more modest changes. Okay. So, and are we getting some
0: of that dorsal vagal activation as the ventral vagal with, is that, you know, because one of the things I think polyvagal, I struggle with a little bit is mm-hmm. I get, Hey, you, a car is over to your lane the ventral vagal break releases. You got all that sympathetic energy to mm-hmm. m- react immediately and activate the flight response. That, yeah. that seems pretty intuitive. It's, yeah. it's where like, okay, I get the freeze response, kind of the emergency aspect of yeah. this, but like, okay, I'm just tired. Like I, I I've had a hard day at work. So I'm, I don't, I'd love a little sympathetic energy to be honest with you, but you know, there, there's not that there. Are we getting, is that, a, is that a vagal withdrawal? A ventral vagal it can withdrawal? be
1: something as simple as uh, you have burned through available ATP. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. and let me explain it this way: uh, attention uh, and executive control are a very represent very finite resources. Yeah. Uh, and the brain is powered by stored glycogen, which is then used as glucose to provide the ATP. With me so far? If during the day you have uh, exhausted yourself, uh, your brain may have less of a reserve Mm. uh, of glycogen. uh, And therefore you are not going to be as sharp uh, and you may feel more fatigued. So I don't think we need to use... uh, And I'm, I'm generally not comfortable uh, explaining things uh, in terms of components of uh, of the parasympathetic nervous system when there are simpler explanations. Yeah, so all uh, right, you know, it's like trying to explain things from the quantum level. Yeah, as soon as you see a uh, biofeedback, and I'm using this in quotes, uh, vendor explaining why their product works at a quantum level you should run for the uh, the exit uh because you're uh you're going to hear uh what uh one uh ted uh speaker calls neuroflap doodle
0: just, <laughs> <I> love that <laughs> just uh,
1: serious you know silliness uh, uh, so it i think it's important to keep things simple and grounded. I and so the the takeaway is that what we call a stress response uh, may very well be just uh, reducing our normal uh, parasympathetic uh, activity. Uh, yeah. It isn't so much that we freeze. It isn't so much that we engage in fight or flight, it's not, the nervous system isn't perceiving it as that magnitude of threat. Excellent. But it is enough to increase very low frequency. It is enough to cool the hands and to make them sweatier.
0: Yeah. And just to appreciate that our our simple answer uh, took us up into the complexity of the brain, which yes. may or may not be more complex than quantum physics, uh, depending yeah. on depending on how much yes. ATP you have to go yes. with it on a given day. Yes. So I thank you for going on that that tangent because it's an ongoing theme mm-hmm. of the show, trying to kind of figure uh some of these stuff out. So it seems like if I were to summarize very low frequency and ultra low frequency, we're measuring uh a circadian rhythm comes to mind, but I don't want to use. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to put those words. But rhythms like that, where yeah. we're getting there, and there, there seems to be uh, uh, some question marks still to what we're looking at and the value of the application of what we're looking at. Um, am, when, am I close?
1: Yes. When okay, uh, Christopher Zur. Uh, and McCready and I uh, finished our literature review somewhere around 2013 there remained uh, a great deal of of uncertainty about the sources of both ultra low uh, than very low Uh, there is more agreement about low and high and those are the ones that uh, your audience will be most interested. Yes. Let's, let's let's go let's there, talk my about friend. Low. Yeah, uh, low frequency activity uh, is uh, large is exclusively under most conditions in which we measure it parasympathetic. Okay. So one of the most important takeaways is we're looking at uh, parasympathetic activity. Another. Contributor can be the baroreceptors, and and these are the blood pressure uh, reflexes. Uh, uh, But collectively, uh, these are, uh, we consider this to be largely parasympathetic. Now, the reason we care about low frequency power. Is that low frequency power tells us if the activity we are using to stimulate uh, the uh, nervous system uh, is working. So, and what I mean by that is, uh, it could be uh, slow paced breathing. Mm-hmm. It could be slow paced muscle contraction. Yeah. Now, when I talk about slow paced, uh, we could be talking at six times a minute. We could be talking at some slightly different rate if we fine tune it to the individual. So maybe four and a half to maybe six and a half times a minute for an adult. But that's slow paced, whether it's breathing or muscle contraction. Mm-hmm. This will stimulate the baroreflexus uh, and in turn uh, can teach the uh, cardiovascular system to increase heart rate variability. So when my breathing exercise or my muscle contraction exercise is working, I will see during that time, but only during that time, an increase in low frequency power okay and importantly okay. only you know that it's a
0: manifestation maybe I correct my leg but I think that's really important for our audience is that it's it is happening during an intentional practice you know it's yes. it's it, it, you're taking your you're going to the gym so to speak. And this is the way to kind of measure uh, the impact of that that practice on overall, probably going back to the time domains. You know, you should see increases in that eventually if you're practicing at rates that increase your low frequency.
1: yes, I, you know, I love your example, and this is one of those very important takeaways for your audience. We are not doing. Uh, slow-paced breathing, or muscle contraction practice to increase low-frequency power. Low-frequency power is just a way we keep score. Mm -hmm. And we absolutely do not expect people to either uh, breathe at this rate or contract their muscles at this rate throughout the day. You only go to the gym, if we're lucky, like once a day. Yeah yeah, and it yeah. would really be inconvenient to have to uh, do bench presses throughout the day., the <laughs> yeah. curls or those other activities. Yeah. So you're we doing it for a brief period of time. Uh, as I've listened to the uh, always brilliant Ina uh, Kazan, we're talking about a maximum amount of time, training time. Uh, of about 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Initially, it might be five minutes, and then you might, you know, week by week, you increase it to a maximum of 20. And that's just 20 minutes, perhaps once a day. Uh, And it's not to increase low-frequency power. Again, low-frequency power just tells us that we're getting results initially as we're doing it. Yeah, uh, yeah. The closest uh, analogy I can make, it's a really lame analogy, is when I'm doing uh, 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 weights in the gym, I might during the exercise or in between sets feel my muscles get swole. Mm-hmm. Uh, so briefly, I might sense a bulging hypertrophy of the muscle. Yeah. But the point of it isn't, to get swole. Only what you're looking for is going to what we call the high-frequency band when the person is just breathing normally. Now, what I mean by normally is maybe 12 to 18 breaths per minute. And the high-frequency band, the amount of power in that band tells us if we move the needle um, vagal tone, parasympathetic tone. Yeah. Over a matter of weeks, we may see that number get bigger. Now, I'm not talking about percentage. I'm talking about absolute power. Uh, well, uh, and uh, the uh, optimal HRV app uh, gives you a measurement that you can take under resting conditions uh, and so, if you take what we call a resting baseline, and what I mean by that is you're sitting quietly, breathing at normal rates, no feedback. Uh, and if you see that the high frequency power is greater, you are moving in a direction of increasing vagal tone. So, yes. we do, we increase low frequency power during practice. So that we can increase high frequency power during baseline. I love that.
0: So let me, let me just ask, maybe I'll, I'll give you permission to say, Matt, it doesn't really matter because that that is a totally appropriate. But' I'm, I'm looking at you, you mentioned like total power or absolute yeah. power, I think it was. And, and we're back into the the Hertzs. And now yeah. that we kind of care more, about not that we don't care about ultra very low, but now we're like, really care about low frequency, high frequency for the average user. Yeah, when we talk about power, and we talk about hertz, uh, it's always been kind of a
1: mystery to me. Let's put it this way. Hertz is the number of cycles per second. And do we know what we're measuring with low or high frequency? Low is going to be Parasympathetic, uh, low may be baroreceptor, but largely parasympathetic. High uh, is uh, parasympathetic. Okay, and are, are we talking about again?
0: I listeners will be somewhat familiar with these terms. You know, re, you know when when the exhale throw, puts on, you know the the break. Mm-hmm. The 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 term is escaping me <laughs> right.
1: We're talking about respiratory sinus arrhythmia. There, there we go.
0: Thank you. So yeah. are, are, are we talking, is that like a cycle, like what, what we're talking about here? Yeah. Or am A
1: cycle I- would be uh, a breathing. You know, a, a cycle is just the number of waves per second. Okay. That's all we're talking about. Uh, and based on this, again, we're talking about very slow processes. And again, to remind you, When we talk about say alpha, that's eight to thirteen or twelve waves or cycles per second. Mm -hmm. With me so far? Well, low frequency is not even one cycle. It's like 0.05, so uh, five hundredths of a cycle to 0.15 hertz. So not even one cycle. So that's really slow. And that is parasympathetic and probably the baroreceptors. Gotcha. High frequency is defined uh, by uh, 0.15 to about 0.4. So again, not even one cycle uh, per second. Uh, And it is due to breathing, and it's entirely parasympathetic. So one of the important takeaways for your audience is some of them will have read or seen reference to a ratio Mm -hmm. between low frequency and high frequency uh, power. And power just is a, a way of measuring how much energy there is. Depending on how this is obtained, what the person is doing, uh, this is largely going to be poop. And let me tell you why. It assumes that low frequency has a robust sympathetic component. Mm. But in many cases, what we're asking the person to do uh, doesn't involve exercise. Uh, the person may be sitting quietly, and so it will be parasympathetic divided by parasympathetic. Okay. So that yeah. index is at very least under resting conditions, uh, pretty sketchy, in the yeah. sense of not very informative. Uh, and that's a
0: is that am I right to say that's a relatively recent kind of
1: change in how we look at things? Certainly, in the last decade. Okay, Uh, But again, many questions are extremely nuanced. Uh, So it matters a great deal how you are measuring heart rate variability. Uh, For example, in our lab, people are sitting quietly. Mm -hmm. We're not putting people on a tilt table. A tilt table has your head pointing down. It is a uh, cardiovascular stressor. Yeah, uh, and yes, you'd expect it to elicit sympathetic uh, activation, but under our uh, and and honestly, most of your uh, audience is going to sit upright, or lay down, or stand, and they are going to measure their uh, heart rate variability under very uh, non-demanding circumstances, and therefore. Uh, we wouldn't expect uh, to have a significant sympathetic component to low-frequency power. So it's just parasympathetic divided by parasympathetic. So my takeaway is, use low-frequency power while you're engaged in the activity designed to increase your HRV. Use high-frequency power during your resting baselines so that over a period of weeks to months you can see whether it increases
0: excellent so with that again i I may be wrong so please correct me if i am high frequency so if we take a three to five minute reading you Mm -hmm. know which is Kind of in the arena of mm-hmm. the time domains that we talked about in the last episode, yeah. high frequency could come in there in a way that gives us some valuable information, like RMSSD or SDNN. Yeah. Would it? Would it fit well within that? Would it tell yeah, us something different, different than though the time domain
1: measures do? What the time domain measures. I think of the apocryphal story of blind uh, sages, uh, say in India, uh, each uh, holding on to a different portion of an elephant. Yeah, uh, we're getting a different aspect of heart rate variability, uh, and uh, they're not going to align perfectly, even among what we call time domain measures. And for your audience who haven't listened to our uh, podcast from a month ago, uh, time domain measures give us an average value of how much heart rate variability did I have uh, in uh, a recording period, like five minutes or three minutes. Uh, it, uh, for my students, the average value that's relevant to them Uh, might be uh, their uh, GPA. Mm -hmm. In this case, so time domain, and and the time domain values don't all line up because they measure, they assess different parts of the elephant. Okay. Uh, But there is some agreement. So for example, I would expect that uh, the short-term measure of of HRV, which is the RMSSD uh, will uh, move in concert uh, with increased high-frequency power when both are measured at rest after. So as uh, high-frequency power slowly increases over time, uh, during resting baselines, so should the RMSSD. Excellent. Hey, there, there's an elephant there after all. Yeah, there is. <laughs> you know, it's one not... of the real yeah, challenging ahead. aspects of HRV is that the, all the metrics, even, uh, time domain or frequency do not line up exactly. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay because they are measuring uh, some are measuring total variability, some are doing brief variability, uh, and there are other differences as well. Yeah, uh, and it's okay. Uh, but as uh, as high frequency power increases, and uh, in a research setting, we would convert the uh, number to what we call, uh the natural log or log to the base e uh as that goes up the rmssd uh may very well go up in the in the same direction excellent boy
0: uh anything that i am not smart enough to ask because uh i i really appreciate this i i really think we 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 like that think about and nerd out about HRV a like lot can throw mm-hmm. these terms around and even like like i said with the hertz thing like okay i think i guess so i i really mm-hmm. i can't tell you how much i appreciate it just personally and i know the audience were but is there any questions i i should ask you or anything else uh there is. around it's the not profit.
1: because you're not smart enough it's just that you are so smart that you pulled in quite a few different directions <laughs> thank you <laughs> so let me let me uh raise the question that again your audience may be interested in right uh how do I assess uh my change in my numbers mm-hmm. uh and uh it's important to uh, Where you can be consistent, uh, you're more likely to compare apples with apples and not uh, bananas or kumquats, okay? So uh, consistent could be uh, same time of day, uh, same preceding activity and so forth. Uh, But you don't have to be obsessive about it, but you just, but it's important consistency. And then what you look are for general trends. In your numbers. What I would like to see over time as a function of exercise, stress management, uh, HRV practice is uh, an increase in resting high frequency power, as well as uh, increased uh, time domain activity, such as the RMSSD. Yeah. And you're looking at just trends. You don't worry about a fractional difference. You just ask, is it going up or down? Yeah. Uh, uh, And uh, some uh, authors have suggested that if we're pretty good at keeping it constant, and by constant, I mean recording at the same time and same conditions, it may give us useful information about uh, whether we have exhausted ourselves due to our workouts, uh, whether we have just uh, caught uh, a viral infection because HRV uh, may reflect that.
0: Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, uh, my friend, uh, this has been a spectacular journey uh, to to take with you. Because, like I said, I, I really unpacking the the complexity and and I think exploring things like well, you 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 know our audience might hear very low frequency and, and to say hey, there's limitations there there they, it's telling us something, uh, but we're 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 kind of still trying to figure it out in some ways, and this is what we have figured out. Um, I just think really helps people like myself to say, I don't have any clue what ultra low frequency is. I don't think I have to worry about it, but,
1: no, you don't know. don't have to worry about that. <laughs> you don't have to worry about very low. Yeah. And yeah. you also need to take the measurements you uh, obtain from consumer grade gear with quite a few grains of Morton salt. And let me just remind you, your audience, why uh, the apps on our smart phones, the apps on our smart watches and trackers uh, do either no or minimal uh, error correction. Yeah. So much of the variability we may see from uh, recording to recording uh, may. Reflect movement artifact, and not a change in your physiology. Yeah. Uh, that's I mean the the more sophisticated members of your audience may upload, you know, may basically upload their uh, interbeat intervals, the time period between heartbeats, and clean it up uh, to get rid of that uh, source of false variability. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the others, including myself, because I'm way too lazy, uh, and I really don't care. Uh, I just look for general changes, mm-hmm. uh, realizing that the measurements, I mean, it's like tracking calories burned. uh, that is so, uh, imprecise. Yeah. Uh, no, I do trust the steps a little bit more, uh. But even there, uh, I don't. I allow for variability, so I, I do know. You know, the steps uh, are not uh, exactly accurate, but they don't need to be.
0: Right. Right.
1: Um, well, and as a, as
0: a a fan of history, the word artifact has been something that brings me joy to something that haunts my dreams. Uh, trying to to figure out because i mean how how concise you where where do you put the limit like all that stuff is a whole another level of complexity of of how do you do this while how what's for a commercial grade app how much of that artifacting can you do do you want to do uh because you got to get enough to give feedback at the same time so it's very, like I said, the word artifact was for something that brought me joy in a museum to something that now,
1: yeah.
0: uh, you know, just, I, I I could never hear the word again and be okay.
1: <laughs> no, and you shouldn't be. I mean, it's, uh, I look at the measurements from my Fitbit and from my uh, Apple Watch. Uh, sometimes it will tell me that my RMSSD is over 150 uh the, the late uh Fritz pearls would call that elephant shit <laughs> uh, he he was good at coining uh, very yes. memorable phrases yeah uh, but far more uh extreme than just the bull variety right uh hundred and fifty no way in heck no uh yeah. 35 I believe it yeah 150 I don't believe it but it doesn't do error correcting. So one has to be nuanced about uh, our measurements and to realize the imprecision. And that's where consumer grade gear is now. Uh, And fortunately in our lab, uh, we can do our own data cleanup. Mm -hmm. Uh, But so I want you readers to take their measurements if they are just looking at uncorrected values uh, with several grains of Morton salt.
0: I love that. I think that that's a great way to wrap up. Uh, Dr. Fred Schaefer, thank you so much. Uh, I I just appreciate you. I appreciate your patience. Really, I think walking through this at a pace that that is still good in my learning curve, like I said, Mm -hmm. obsessing about this stuff. I, I I could have like given you probably maybe something to give me a B on for low and high frequency. Now, I think I got the A answer for the class. Right. Uh, maybe I could even write a paper on it. I, I don't know. Yeah. But but I really do appreciate that because, you know, as as HRB gets more and more, I think paying attention to what it is and where these metrics come from and right. how confident are we that we know what we're looking at. I think are all just all just things to keep on people's radar. Here's where we're at. Maybe a year or two for now. As technology gets even better, yeah. we'll have uh, we'll have another conversation about. Uh, yeah, now we can measure very low frequency in a different way, and we know what it's telling us uh, yes. in that way. So I just appreciate you, my friend, and uh, uh, being able to go into this level of detail with us.
1: This has been a joy for me.
0: I am so glad to hear that too. So uh, as always, listeners, OptimalHRV.com, you can find show notes, uh, the YouTube videos, and uh, I will promise to do my best to find a a good topic to tempt uh, Dr. Schaefer to come back on the show soon because I know we always get great feedbacks, uh, my friend, for winning on. So I thank you and I thank our listeners.
1: Thank you. Take care.